Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. During this past week, um, I've received correspondence from our denomination concerning how we might navigate as a church out of lockdown. Two um, forms or two um, booklets or leaflets have been sent out. Um, The United Free Church quite sensibly isn't trying to recreate the wheel and so it has chosen to access material produced by the United Reformed Church which is a a bigger national denomination that covers England, um, Wales and and obviously Scotland and the Free Church of Scotland. Uh, And both, although both actually are theologically very different, and those of you who know the difference will know that that is indeed the the case, um, they both actually speak very helpfully as to how we might navigate as churches out of lockdown, following, of course, the government advice. Those of you who are up on these things will know that at present we are in phase one of coming out of lockdown, and as far as church life is concerned, then it has no impact on that. Churches remained closed for public worship and for gatherings, um, and therefore we're still carrying on doing this. However, the Scottish Government has indicated that phase two is likely to start perhaps in a fortnight's time. And as part of that, obviously there's many other changes that will take place, but as part of that, churches will be allowed to reopen for private prayer. Some of you will remember that for a very short period before the the widespread lockdown took place in March, we did that as a church. We had a banner we put out and various times the church was opened and people were free to come in and just sit quietly. Well, as I say, in a fortnight's time, um, hopefully, God willing, um, there will be the opportunity for churches throughout our country to do that. Not all churches will. The Free Church of Scotland isn't particularly into having their buildings open for private prayer. That's not part of their culture. But we will, placed in the main street um, and in a vital central locality within our community, I certainly think in the Kirk session certainly agreed that we should have a, a witness to that fact that God isn't shut down but is very much still alive and well during this time of national crisis. So our church will reopen for private prayer. That in many ways is straightforward. We can understand that. But after that, it gets a lot more complicated. Phase three will allow some form of gathering to to take place. But as the Free Church um, leaflet helpfully says, we await more detailed government advice and direction in due course as to what extended groups or gatherings will mean in practical terms for churches. But it, along with the material from the United Free Church, goes on to explain that whatever might take place, there will still be restrictions. We are to assume, for instance, the United Reformed Church states that some people remain, need to remain shielded until the threat of the pandemic has passed, either through a vaccine or through some other form of medical intervention. This will notably be those who are over the age of 70 or whose health conditions make them vulnerable. And then it goes on very helpfully to say, be aware that many of our older members are likely to be resistant to the idea of staying away from church. Think about how you will emphasise the importance of them following the appropriate advice. The Free Church makes it clear that if there is any gathering um, to be led from the front, um, ministers and others with a formal part in the service should, where possible, stay at least four metres, that's 12 feet away, from the front row of the congregation. It says that singing groups should remain very small and indeed singing may require more than two metres social distancing and therefore may have to be restricted. The United Reformed Church also say, so we might come together but not actually be able to sing. 
Um, and it also says the free church that for the time being there should be no Sunday school or creche or separate provision for young people. That is a challenge. No communions, no baptisms, a whole host of things. It's obvious that whatever happens, we're in for the long haul. And it's also obvious, I'm afraid to say, that any idea of all being together, of a 94-year-old up in the balcony and a four-month-year-old or a four-year-old underneath, as all being together as a family, as a church family, will not take place for some considerable time. And even when it does, it will involve various restrictions and new ways of managing congregational life. And I'm sorry about that. I did think that's the way it would be, and I have indicated that. And from what I read, and I'll be perusing these things over the coming weeks, it looks likely that's how it will work out. It's interesting, actually, perhaps unfortunately interesting, that the two groups that often were focused in congregational life, the care of the elderly, the old folk, and the care of the young, the kids, are two areas where there is some issue. There is some issue, there's no doubt about that. Um, as a minister, one of the questions you were always asked when you went to look for a youth church would be, how are you with the old folks and how are you with the children? And certainly for many years, for the last two or three generations, the emphasis of the church has often been in its work and ministry on older people or on young people. Important areas of ministry, and I would want to make that clear, important areas of ministry, although I have often felt that they have been so emphasised at the cost of other areas of ministry, particularly the nurturing and discipling of people in, let's say, the middle years, people from their 30s, 40s and 50s. Of course, now with the restrictions in place, many things that we've taken for granted will not be possible. I was asked just during the week when the coffee service of the church would restart. Other people are concerned about other opportunities that churches provided for their community, perhaps not our own congregation, but other churches. And many of these things will not restart, certainly not for the foreseeable future. But God is in control. We have to affirm that and believe that, or else we could easily become overwhelmed by the discouragements. God is in control. And perhaps in some ways, through all that's happening, he's stripping away many of the priorities, many of the shibboleths, many of the things that we thought were so important for a church or for a, for a, a witness to the gospel. He's stripping away, or at least for a season, laying emphasis aside so that we might rediscover what is foundational, what is essential, what is central to being part of the body of Christ, the church of God. And therefore, our readings today are actually very apt. We're, one to, we're returning to the story of the book of Acts following on from the day of Pentecost, actually on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's first sermon, if you want to share with me and read with me, then turn to Acts chapter 2. And after the Spirit came upon the disciples, and Peter gets up to preach, and in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2, we read that Peter stood up with the deliver and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I see. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And then he goes and quotes from the prophet of Joel that God had kept his promise that he would pour out his spirit on his people. He then goes on to preach and to speak about Jesus. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then again, picking up, he spends some time reflecting on the promises and the prophetic psalms of David pointed towards the resurrection, and he picks up in verse 32 this. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For God, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, you good folks that are listening to this, at least the vast majority of you good folks that are listening to this, are only too well aware of this story, the story of Pentecost. We return to it because in these opening chapters of the book of Acts, we do have God's given basic foundational outline of what the church is all about. Yes, it was set in a different culture. Yes, it was set in a different time. But the foundational principles for the church of God are laid out for us in these opening chapters of the book of Acts. And that tells us that the church, the gathering of believers, the congregation of the Lord, those who are called out by God, they are founded on the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Peter makes that very clear, that this Jesus was put to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. death. Again, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is the very means by which the proclamation of that, the preaching of that, the making that known, is the very means by which God forms and calls and gathers a people for himself. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, a, a book or a letters that we've been referring to much recently, emphasizes that. Can I read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, these verses? Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Through the foolishness of what was preached, God saves those who believe. And that gospel is, that message is about Christ. He goes on to say, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The church is founded, it's called together, it gathers 
as God in Christ, crucified and risen, it's proclaimed. Now, as I said earlier, you good folks, at least I'm sure most of you anyway listening to this, are aware of that. But we need to remind ourselves of that, especially as we move into challenging times when many of the structures, many of the gatherings, many of the formats that perhaps we are familiar with, many of the things that we think are so important in the life of the church, many of the emphases which have been emphasized greatly over many years, when perhaps many of these things or some of these things for a season or perhaps permanently will be laid aside. It'll be easy for us to lose our bearings, easy for us to lose our focus, easy to begin to wonder what all this is about. Well, we need to remember and we need to be reminded that the church that was born in the time of the apostles and the day of Pentecost was born into a non-Christian, pagan environment. It wasn't that they were all just waiting to believe in Jesus. It was foolishness. To, to the Jews and, and to the Greeks in many ways. It didn't seem to make sense to those who weren't interested or those who were skeptical, but to those who believed, those who were looking, for those who were searching, those for whom the Spirit of God was at work, the Spirit that John tells us will convict us of sin and convince us of Jesus and convert us by bringing us to faith to him. That all comes about when the message of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, is made known. And my friends, whatever church life will be like over these coming months and perhaps into the coming years, that foundational understanding of the gospel must be at the heart of what we proclaim through our preaching and proclamation and of what we say in more private conversation and our social intercourse. But if the church is founded on that gospel, notice well then what happens. After Peter preaches in the book of Acts, we read in verse 37 that when people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't think any social distancing was taking place at that time. There was a crowd, crowd stirred by the Spirit of God. And as Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, was exalted to the preaching of the gospel by Peter, and as the Spirit of God was at work convicting and convincing and converting, people were brought to faith. The church was formed through that preaching. But it involved repentance. It involved people coming to an understanding of not just of their own situation, but notice what Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It involved people at least beginning to have a, a fresh understanding of what was going on round about them, what was going on in their society, what was going on in the world, and how in many ways that was far from what God was pleased with and indeed deserved God's judgment rather than his favour. I was very taken this past week by hearing from Elizabeth at a, a day of prayer or a morning of prayer that was dedicated over at Scripture Union this past week, led by Robin, their youth leader. And the very theme of that morning or that time of prayer and reflection was in the theme of lament, picking up the theme of the Old Testament, the Book of Lamentations, and indeed the prophets who lamented over the state of Israel, who lamented over people's waywardness and spiritual disinterest, who lamented over how God's 
places of worship, the temple, or the various shrines, Bethel, and other places that were dedicated to God were desecrated or defiled by idolatry or were ignored by the vast majority of people. And the prophets and the men and women of God then lamented over that. My friends, that's the key to us moving out of a lockdown spirit. Repenting and lamenting are central to the church being reformed after a time of crisis and of challenge. People here heard the gospel and they were cut to the heart. My friends, we too should be cut to the heart perhaps. Perhaps there is someone listening to this who really for the first time needs to recognize that they're a sinner, deserving not God's favor but his judgment, that apart from Jesus Christ there is no saviour that only in him and through him can their sins be forgiven and can they be assured of God's mercy and grace and receive his forgiveness and know his favor in their life, not just here, but in the hereafter. We've been reminded through this crisis of how temporal life is, of how short it can be, of how suddenly a life and circumstances can be changed. We all, one way or another, have felt that. And that's all God's means of wakening people up to this corrupt and sinful generation to the waywardness of the Western world and the culture in which we live and our need even in the church to repent from being so much in the world that we actually have not effectively demonstrated the power and radical difference that the gospel brings. Lamenting over our churches being closed, lamenting over the fact that areas of ministry in the life of the church have had to stop. Scripture union, an arm of the church, its raison d'etre has been to work with young people and to have camps and SU groups and to go into schools and everything else. And all of that, for quite a considerable time, is going to have to be laid aside, perhaps into next year before things really begin to be restored there. Sorrow over that, grief over that, and an asking of God of why that is the case and what he is saying through all of this, that has to be at the heart of how we come out of lockdown. If the church is founded on the gospel, if it's formed in a sense, and, and, the, and the, the, the creative catalyst that causes the church to begin to grow is, comes about through repentance and lament, so it's then focused on nurture. Let's read on verse 42. They, that is the you believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I'll read on. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Perhaps we have to be honest, and I'm not necessarily speaking here about part church and the faithful ministry, and I don't just mean my ministry, my predecessor's ministry, and of many people over these last 30 years, where we have rightly emphasized discipleship. I'm not particularly speaking about part church, but the church in Scotland, the church in the West, has often lost sight of its raison d'etre to disciple men and women. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. The Great Commission was to go and to make 
disciples, those who'd literally walked in the footsteps of Jesus. I've said that often from the front of the sanctuary when we've been gathered together in worship. Again, most of you listening to this know that, but perhaps in a fresh way, we need to begin to rediscover that. One of the things we might be able to do in phase three is to have small gatherings back in the church, not corporate big worship services where we're all together, but small gatherings. And perhaps the opportunity at these small gatherings will be to develop the work of the fellowship groups that we have. And those fellowship groups also involve things like Connect on a Monday evening, where Karen and Elizabeth and Gregor and James spend time discipling young men and women, some of whom, many of whom actually, are nothing direct to do with their church. Their parts, their families are in other churches in the wider area. But nonetheless, finding a group like Connect the opportunity to be discipled in the way of Jesus. At the end of the day, whatever age you are, whether you're in your 90s or whether you're a teen, we all need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And small gatherings for that should be at the very heart of the life of the church. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have that teaching, the teaching of the apostles, the prophets, in the Bible. So obviously God's word is central to fellowship. I've said often before, fellowship isn't primarily having a cup of tea and a blather about the weather. It might involve that at some time. It certainly won't involve the tea for some time, unfortunately, within the life of the church. Fellowship, when the Bible speaks about it, is sharing together the things of God, the talking together of the things of Jesus. To the breaking of bread, what we've already heard, communion is something we're going to have to wait for, but we can still pray together and ask for God and Jesus Christ to be made known in our midst when Two or three gather in his name. We have that promise that he comes by the Spirit and is known amongst us. That is a tangible, that is a corporate, that is a physical reality when believers gather together. And that has to be, and will continue to be in part church, at the heart of what it means to come out of lockdown. And then lastly, if the church is founded on the gospel, it's formed through repentance and lament, it focuses on nurture. It forms a new community. You can't help but see that in these opening verses. People round about were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I know of some ministers, perhaps not many, but some ministers, one in particular who's a dear friend, who actually would be quite happy. He's older than me and he's perhaps got less time to go till he retires, but nonetheless he would be quite happy to carry on doing Zoom services for the remainder of his ministry, to conduct his ministry like this. Now, we thank God for these means, the ways of sharing together to be able to attend to the apostles' teaching and everything else. But I have to say to my dear friend, and I did say this to him, I've known him for 40 years or more, and I have to say to my own heart, and I have to say to all of us who are listening to this, this is not a substitute for the gathering together of the people of God. It, in this time of trial, it is God's gracious gift to allow us to, to make do, but it is very much a making do. It's not the same as gathering together and fellowship. And why do I say that so strongly? Because it's very clear from the book of Acts that when the gospel is proclaimed, people come together. 
They want to be together, not separated. This is all very well, but we could all hide behind a screen. We can all socially distance a lot easier like this in ways that we shouldn't be. We can, we can keep things private. We can hide. Body language and everything else tells so much, and we need to be open to that and to rediscover that as we gather together as believers, perhaps in small groups, perhaps in conversation over the garden fence, yes, socially distanced with our hands stinking of, of um, alcoholic gel because we've washed them that often or whatever, but nonetheless that coming together, that expression of what it is to be the body of Christ, which is a tangible, communal, physical event that impacted on other people. They saw what God was doing. They saw how God was forming a new family, a new community, a new nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And through that community of God's people, much happened. There were signs and wonders. How we need to be open to the Spirit of God working in fresh and new ways amongst us and through us. Needs were met. And how we thank God that we have been able to do this, even through times of challenge. People who have been ill, I have visited, yes, I hope the police don't come and knock my door, but I have visited, sat in their gardens and listened, people who have bereaved, I have visited, sat in their garden, or at a distance talked with them and listened to them. Um, Karen has been working with the young people, going round, seeing some of the families in their homes. Elizabeth has been visiting families that we have a connection with who are in materially in need. Many of you have been keeping in contact, phoning, speaking with people, and yes, some of you have gone out and, again, at a socially distant way, sought to see others. In various ways, in various ways, the community of God's people has carried on during this time, and we're very thankful to God and to each other for that. That tangible sign of personal care, which points to the God who took flesh and lived among us, the incarnational God who's in the business of touching, of sitting, of speaking, of communicating, of being tangibly, physically present. All of that is a demonstration of the power of the gospel. Are you community. And at a time when we're all going to struggle, our community is going to struggle, trying to work through all these regulations. And I can assure you, when you start reading this, you could easily become quite depressed as to how things are going to work out in practice within church life, even when we are allowed to come together. We'll be that busy brushing, cleaning, scrubbing and everything else. We'll have no time for anything else. Um, all of that could easily overwhelm us. But we have to think that in the communities in which God has placed us, we are the community of believers. We are the signpost to the new wine of the kingdom. We are to be the beacon of the hope that God has offered in Jesus Christ that saves us from this corrupt and sinful generation. And how we live together, how we relate together, and how we demonstrate that in our generosity, in our compassion, and in our practical care. All of that points and is to reveal Jesus Christ crucified and risen. A church founded on the gospel, a church formed through repentance and lament, a church focused on spiritual nurture and discipling, a church forming a new community, a tangible sign of a living God. That is old stuff from the book of Acts, from the day of Pentecost, but is as relevant and perhaps even more relevant in the 2020s than it has been for some considerable time.
This is the word of the Lord. Let's listen to it and heed it. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. In many ways, it's not a you word. I'm sure many of us have read and heard and reflected on this story many times. But we thank you for its fresh relevance to this particular time and season. A time when, yes, there had been many physical deaths within our society. 40,000 and more. But also a time when many things that we held precious, including many things within the life of the church, have died. At least for a season. Perhaps to be resurrected in due course, perhaps not. And we feel the sense of loss. We do lament over many things that have been taken from us. And yet we thank you that even as we've heard your word this morning, and as we know something of the story of your dealings with your people throughout the Bible, lament is a key that opens the door of your discovery and of your beginnings. And so we say sorry for perhaps having wrong perspectives, of not taking discipleship seriously enough, of allowing institutions of the church or the business of life or the demands of career or the pressure of family to prevent us from focusing upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We recognize that we are called to be crucified with Christ, to die so that we might be raised to newness of life. Lord, through this time of endings and new beginnings, by your Holy Spirit, work not just within our own lives, but within the life of your church in our land. Lord, I pray particularly for our own denomination. Some of our congregations will not survive this time. The folks at Bergedi are speaking of winding up and other congregations will be faced with similarities. Lord, through the death of some things, may there be you life even within our little denomination. And Lord, we pray that as a presbytery, when we gather together, in a week's time, may there be a genuine spirit of lament and repentance so that we might in a you and fresh way know what it is to be the means of proclaiming your word in our world today. So we pray for the church, for the United Free Church. We pray for the church generally within our land. We pray for our own fellowship and we pray for our own souls. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.